We're doing this. <laughs> On March 31st, it was Trans Awareness Day. What? The day before April Fools? Maybe they missed it by a day. I'm just saying every day is April Fools for trans people. Uh-oh. Dang, Gabe. Uh-oh. That's kind of insensitive. Oh. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politics Sunday special. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox on the water boy, and we got lawyer sensei. Jeff Schaefer, Ninja, Ninja in the studio with I've us. I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah, I really have. We've been we've been trying to get him on for two years, at least. At two least years. two years. He did. He did come to the Fight Laugh Feast conference. And he, he did. He and gave, a, gave it. a talk. Oh, it was a uh, Dr. Merkel in, in Nashville. Yeah, Jeff right so you know, I mean, it's not impossible to get Jeff. Just almost impossible. <laughs> I aim to make it difficult. <laughs> well, you are successful. You have been up until now. You can, you can see him squaring us up just right now. He's like, mm. he's like, I, I could take them all. I think. Um, so, on on a Trans Awareness Day, Fox News released a statement saying they were hiring uh, Bruce Jenner to come on and be a, a correspondent right. or a contributor right. to Fox. That right. was on Trans Awareness Day, and this okay. is you know conservatives doing conservative things, contributing as what exactly as a. Transgendered woman. Oh, so they're buying, they're buying the categories now. They don't know how to define a woman anymore. They're right. like Katanji ja- Jackson. Right. And, and the reason why I bring that up: join the club. Oh, like join right. the club. How's that? Jo- like forget forget Fox and even even Daily Wire. You already pointed. We pointed out this last week that Daily Wire is even trembling, shaking mm. in their in their conservatism. Right. Right. You know the Blaze. The Blaze mm. had uh, you know they praised Dave Rubin for getting. I, 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 I can't even like pregnant. I mean, what do you, what do you call? It? No, no. no. I, I, yeah. I posted on Twitter. It's kind of hard to talk about rebuilding family entertainment if you don't know what a family is. That's right. That's and right. That's everybody right. has right. been very loud and, and very focal on fake news. And yep. then when you get somebody up there who is denying fake. the very reality right. of right. their their body, right. I don't know how you can be quiet about that. That's right. And we've seen such a silence in the conservative. Yeah. arena right and it's just proven that they're just going at this whole thing just a little slower than everybody else but That's they're right. going down the same trajectory so yep. you got to ask the question what are you building with your money over the next yep. 20 years what are yeah. you supporting what are you supporting Why what are you Network or fox yeah yeah That's so we're also going to be in rapid city next week actually yep. working on this very issue god in government right with gary uh, tamar uncle gary tamar and gary just so you guys know i'm not trying to like keep gary off the I think you are. Uh, Gary just gave us a very awful picture that doesn't work digitally with what we're doing. <laughs> so, Uncle Gary is good at government and eschatology. Yep. And apparently, why are you using not, that picture of me? I got media. better pictures in this. Not media. Yeah. That's a good one, man. We we did a photo shoot and you didn't do any of our pictures in that. I, I have so much on my plate. Yeah. Sure. Excuses. <laughs> Moving Excuses. Along. Excuses. Yes. So you can sign up. You go to Rapid City. You can sign up. Yep. It's actually um, we're actually making it free now because we had to pivot Larry Elder. We had some logistical issues of getting Larry Elder out there. It wasn't Larry's fault. Um, and uh, hopefully, oh, it's we're, free. We're gonna, hopefully, so it's now free. Rapid but we're City. also um, so the live show that night's free. The Gotten Government's always been free, but the live show that night's free. And we got some actually really cool special guests uh, wow. coming on that haven't been. Uh, we've confirmed three of them, uh, but we're gonna be yeah. That's all I'm saying. Oh, That's all wow. I'm saying right now. Whoa. So nice. you can go sign up or show up at the door. It's free. We look forward to seeing you there. And then we're going to be in Phoenix, May nineteenth. Nineteenth. Is yep. that registration open yet? It's registration. Opening. It should be open by Monday. Basically. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then in back in Knoxville, Tennessee, for the Fight Laugh Feast conference, October sixth through eighth. Um, what's it called again? Something about lies, lies. propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Yes. So good. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's all connected. So yeah. come out, celebrate with us. Boniface Woodworking <laughs> exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity. 
Who doesn't enjoy shopping with integrity? What are you doing, Gabe? I'm, Stop I'm it. getting it out. I'm getting oh. our barn office woodworking stuff oh, out. Oh, I see that? what you're doing. Wow. Um, who who want to buy handmade wooden furniture, gifts, and heirloom items that will last for generations, from dining tables and church pulpits to cigar humidors and chessboards, chess apparently. Yeah. Everything in between. Quality pieces that you can give your children's children. Oh, I like that. It's like covenantal, yeah. covenantal woodworking. Tie them to their roots and transcend the basic function of whatever they are becoming gifts. So start voting with your dollars. Oh, that's what we're talking hey, about. Mover. And stop buying cheap crap from people who hate you. <laughs> people, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just read the. He's just reading I this. Just read the ad. I, don't, <laughs> I didn't write that. Sure, Biden. <laughs> Visit www.bonificewoodworking.com to see the gallery, learn the story, and submit your order for an heirloom quality wood item. Uh, you chop down the idol and you turn it into a... I see what they're doing there. Yeah, yeah you know, St. Boniface, he chopped chop down that, that, that tree, tree, the oak of Thor. They, they must yeah. be Presbyterians, too, because they're talking about generational covenantal all blessing. That, all that business, I'm yeah. It. I'm with it. We've already introduced Jeff, but Jeff Schaefer is director of the new Hale Institute... H-A-L-E. Yeah, at New St. Andrews College. Whenever Gabe says it, it sounds like hell. Hell, hell. you know, hell institute. Hell. <laughs> it, it's not going to hell institute. At New St. Andrews <laughs> College, he graduated with honors from Regent University School of Law in 1995. Early in his legal career, he operated a general practice firm in Cincinnati with a particular emphasis on criminal defense litigation. Oh. Thereafter, he practiced in law partnership focusing on elections law and civil constitutional cases. From 2005 to 2020, he served as senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom, oh, wow. ADF, yeah. at its Washington, D.C. and Scottsdale, Arizona offices. Mr. Schaefer has litigated public interest cases in federal, state trial, and appellate courts throughout the United States, as well as developing academic and advocacy initiatives on matters of policy concern. Outside of the courtroom, he's addressed a wide array of audiences and academic and community venues in the U.S. and abroad on matters of legal and cultural interest. And now, for the first time, he's After live two years. in the studio <laughs> on CrossPolitik. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate it. I, I still think as you were walking in here, I was just saying, like, I, I don't think if you've, you know, argued cases in front of judges and juries, this should be nothing. Let's hope so. <laughs> Jeff, you, don't, you, you don't know how excited I am for this show because this no, is no, this is one of those special shows that we get to drill down on something. And I'm yeah, just, and, and we might as well just tell the audience. So, so like we're basically just doing three segments with Jeff today. That's so, it. so it's a little, it's a little different. Little, little, but we we believe that by the time we're done um, here today, uh, you're going to be glad we did, and you're going to be begging for a fourth segment. Yeah, and we're going to say so. too bad. You have to wait till next time. So or come to another two years from now. <laughs> uh, we heard from the president this last week on, uh, as Gabe mentioned, Transgender Day of Visibility. To everyone celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility, I want you to know that your president sees you. Jill, Kamala, Doug, our entire administration sees you for who you are, made in the image of God and deserving of dignity, respect, and support. But we know it's hard when there are those out there who don't see you and don't respect you. For example, the onslaught of anti-transgender state laws attacking you and your families is simply wrong. This administration is standing up for you against all these hateful bills. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom, on the playing field, at work, in our military, in our housing and healthcare systems, everywhere, simply everywhere. Today, we're announcing even more steps but there's always more work to do. 
to end the epidemic of violence against transgender women of color and girls of color, to ensure transgender seniors can age with dignity, dignity, and to finally pass the Bipartisan Equality Act, to help transgender persons around the world live free from discrimination and violence. Above all, to be there with you. To parents of transgender children, affirming your child's identity is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep them safe and healthy. To any transgender American who's struggling, please know that you're not alone. To parents and children alike, please ask for help and know this, you're so brave, you belong, and we have your back. God bless you all. Be brave. Notice all the, like, jamming language that he was using there? Like? Made in the image of God. Oh, sure. Um, jam. Uh, uh, equality. We're all striving for equality. Right. Jam. Right. Uh, uh, um, parents. He brought in parents into this. Right. Jam. Not sure what parents are. And Yeah. yeah. What, what is it? What is a parent? Yeah. And, then, and then, like, all the things he couldn't back up. Uh, what's the percentage population of the transgender community in our country? It's very small. Very small. You know, very, very small. If if the homosexual population is what three percent max, four percent max kind of thing, transgender right. community is even way smaller than that. Right. Um, and you know, he's referencing like all the violence that's done against the transgender community. Um, the number one violence that's done against the transgender community is what the transgender community is doing to their own bodies. So, yeah. Including their own you know, high suicide rates for having mutilated their own bodies. The, the surgeries, right, the right. mutilation, the drugs, the testosterone, all that stuff is just doing violence. Yeah. In addition to the video, Biden actually uh, mentions it in here, but the administration announced um, that early, so young um, transgender surgeries and hormone treatments are now being labeled as crucial for the health of kids and teenagers who identify as transgender and non-binary. So that was part of this announcement. Um, and if that wasn't enough, I think we mentioned some of these in the intro, but Bruce Jenner just got hired at Fox News. Right. Uh, Disney just doubled down this week, um, promising uh, making LGBT plus whatever QIA, et cetera, shows and movies as like a central At like 50% piece. of characters in the yeah. movie or something so, like something that? Something like that, just this last week. Yep. Uh, Dave Rubin just announced that he and his sodomite partner are having babies. And, uh, and Beto O'Rourke, who's running for governor of, Texas. The future governor of um, Texas. Uh, no. Was out, out, no. Out wearing a shirt this week that said, don't mess with trans kids. Instead of don't mess with Texas. Right. Don't um, mess with trans kids. So, so Jeff, I mean, so many people see all this and can't understand how this could possibly be happening. Maybe you saw the pictures of Leah Thomas, the, the swimmer. Or uh, William the, the, Thomas. The dude, the dude in the, in the swim, you know, female swimsuit. Uh, Bob that, Thomas. You know, that, that one... Uh, this uh, you know college swim meet you know and they're like how is this happening? Can you take us back to some decisive points in our legal history where crucial decisions were made that got us on this crazy train? Well, I'll, I'll approach that with some measure of trepidation because the jurisprudential path that got us here is rather long and complex. Yes, we can. I'm here um, for that. Though. Yeah, we're here. I'm here <laughs> for <some laughs> observations. I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the all of what happens in the law generally has some sort of uh, corresponding cultural presentation at the same time. Right. And there has been for an extended period of time um, a repudiation of the idea of creation, the idea of a natural law, a wisdom in which God created the world that's manifest to its observers and its participants. Mm. Right. 
So, you know, early 20th century jurisprudence at the Supreme Court level took a decisive turn fairly early away from a recognition of a created reality and, and a movement in the direction of statist conceptions of all things. Can you give some examples of that in the early 20th century, what you're sure. talking about? Um, for instance, the uh, Pierce versus Society of Sisters case, okay. which was one that... Um, um, came out with a good result, that is to say the Oregon law that forbade private schools was done away with by that decision, but it was conspicuously absent of what had been present before, which was a recognition of the natural authority of parents. Mm. That had been present in the law up until this point. Even the Meyer decision that had been issued two years prior to that decision had made reference to the common law, not creation, recognition of the natural authority of parents in the upbringing of their children. That so it's decisive, I think, this break in, in Pierce that ended up assigning that authority not to a natural reality, but rather to a concept in jurisprudence concocted by the Supreme Court. And so how did so what language was it using to kind of sever the parents in that case or to change the parent status in that case? Well, the parents were treated in an unprecedented way as as custodians. Huh. <laughs> But the, um, the language is more of an absence of what had been discussed before in this right. realm. Right. It wasn't right. but, oh, I we're in the 20s now, by the way. Okay. It was but uh, two or three years later that the Supreme Court in Buck versus Bell ruled the, ratified the forced sterilization of, quote, imbeciles okay. in an opinion written by um, uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., oh. which was essentially a, a broad daylight proclamation of eugenics. Right. Mm. Um, which seems, I suppose, peculiar to us looking back now, but with the new new eugenics that are in play now, perhaps we can talk about that. I do. Yes. yes. Um, he, he perhaps was more prescient than we realized. So, so in, in the Buck case, they ruled that the government could sterilize its citizens? Yes. Those what? kind of um, drags on society that bring us down. It's worthy of your time pulling up that case and reading it. I think it will start so me. like like who would they say is allowed to ster they're allowed to sterilize? Um someone who's retarded or mental issues or, or like a Christian? Uh, those who fall within the category of uh, essentially a drag on society, be right. it uh, imbeciles, al although the particular Carrie Buck at the time, who was the subject to this uh, ruling, was You've read it. Yeah. Yeah. It was when the pandemic happened. I, that's when I was arguing if they can force you to get a shot. And here's why. Yeah. Well, you know, Justice Holmes' disgraceful opinion concludes essentially saying three generations of imbeciles is enough. <laughs> wow. 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 So, you know, what's interesting is, is in the lead up to that decision, the state courts had consistently rejected the idea, the eugenical idea of forced sterilization of the unwanted, uh, the lower classes. Mm -hmm. Um after the Buck versus Bell decision, 18,000 people across the United States were sterilized involuntarily. Mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. wow. And that's so, in the 1920s. Yeah, I think it was 1919. I think that case happened, right? Was I, is that right? Am I right about that? 1919, 1920, something yeah, like that? Yeah, late 20s. Late 20s. Okay. I, just, I, remember so close. I remember looking and saying, okay, wait a second. Is there any precedent that allows for this type of action with the, the shutdown? Forced vaccine. Forced vaccine. Yeah, uh -huh. And that's the case that popped up. And, uh, oh. and, and, and you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, part of the justification for that, though, has to do with um, society. So rather than arguing from a, a natural created 
structure foundation you're saying he's arguing from basically what kind of society are we trying to make or something like that oh he was very enthusiastic he wrote to some correspondents announcing his delight in being able to ratify the sterilization of an imbecile but yes i mean the underlying um, understanding of the world at the time was undoubtedly eugenic i mean that was the yeah. elite conception of the day they were very enthusiastic about this sort of thing so can you keep yeah, walking yeah. us through i mean is yeah, so that's in the 20s for sterilization absence of natural family ties with parents with regard to christian schools keep going um, you know, when we get up into the 60s, there, there are developments that essentially, this is a misinterpretation of the Establishment Clause, that essentially treats any kind of theological precept as a poison that must be eliminated from our legal structures. And insofar as the Legislative Assembly were to make a determination on its law in order to honor say, a particular understanding of the world based in Christian theology, it would ipso facto be illegal. Not because of the substance of the enactment, but because of the purpose, the motivation that drove. Can you the, give an example of that? Well, um, th th they abound. I mean, there are anything. You just think about the reason for particular curricular standards, for instance. Okay. Um, in our public schools, curriculum in our public schools, no prayer in our public schools. All of that was all eliminated. That stuff. Okay. Uh -huh. so, yeah. so not only do we have kind of this turning away from the reality of created norms, right. a natural law that exists and can be recognized and then applied in our legal standards, we have a refusal to acknowledge the transcendent personal God. The creator. The creator right. as well. And, and to say that there's a creator or there is creation, you're saying, um, also got um, put in sort of this blender of, uh, of uh, that, um, that misunderstood uh, the Establishment Clause of the, of the First Amendment in yes. the Constitution, saying right. we, you cannot say that kind of thing because there, thereby you're establishing a religion. Which is very convenient for those who wish the state to be unbounded. <laughs> There's no reality yeah. external to its wishes, its impositions, its coercive measures. Right. Yeah, wonderful position for that. <laughs> and this is very where, convenient. This, very convenient. This is where Christians have been naive, where they, where we constantly think there's like a neutral area where we can do our politics, and but the government's constantly saying no parent schools, and we think oh, we enter, okay, we're we're trying to be neutral in our public school education, and then the the government says no Bible in schools, okay, we you know, it, it, and then eventually, what the government's actually trying to do is is take power. It's not trying to create a neutral space. It's trying to take. Power. Is, is that what you see? Yes. So, so Jeff, I got to ask, because whenever we think, you know, make America great again, whenever we t think about America, whenever we think about where we were, it seems like we have a more Christian foundation of yesteryear. And from what I'm hearing you're saying, it seems like there was intentional removal of Christianity as it pertains to law. So that any time that a law that we see that was based on a Christian foundation, we can now rip and interpret that law any kind of way we want. We got to take Christianity out of it and now have a new interpretation of the law. Right? Well, that's the unfortunate effect. Yes. And that I mean, started happening in the, in the early 20th century. There was a decisive turn in that direction, for sure. No, so this, this was a landmark turn in, in the law. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, the common law heritage that we enjoy was often and regularly um, in a Christian undertaking. It was yeah, vindicated right. in those terms. Right. So we continue to enjoy the, we have a remarkable deposit that we've inherited in our law. And one of the 
I suppose, the durability in the face of these severe onslaughts. We continue to enjoy a great deal as a result sure. of what um, investments from yesteryear, as you alluded. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the termite, termites can eat um, for a great deal of time in which the exterior of the edifice looks as it always has been. It just takes a few pushes and the whole thing comes down. So you took us from the 20s right up into the 60s. Keep, keep going. I, don't want to, I, I usually take a break here. I don't want to stop. Let's just keep going here. All right. The 60s were important in a number of respects, um, culturally, but also in the law. One of those developments was the ratification of the idea that um, married couples have the right to sterile sex. So that was in 1965, the Griswold decision. Whoa. Have the right to sterile sex. Okay. There had been, and this may surprise your viewers, um, a long legal history where contraception was prohibited. Um, so the Supreme Court at that time determined, although in the name of the, the sanctity of the marital home, that those sorts of prohibitions could not be extended into um, the decisions made by husband and wife. It wasn't but a few years later, 1972, in the Eisenstadt case, that the Supreme Court said, um, what we said about the sanctity of the marital home doesn't really matter. There is no difference between sex between persons in a marital relationship and outside of it. So this right to access contraception to make the decision where to bear, whether to bear or beget a child goes to individuals. Um, wow. So we have now this kind of a more fully instantiated right to sterile sex. So, so, so pause there. Um, un, I think you need to unpack that for us. Yeah. What, what was the Griswold decision? Yeah, well, we, that was, well, that was the well, first. Hold on. <laughs> no, no, but, but yeah, that. Yeah. But also, so, but what's... The significance of the court ruling that 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 people have a right, married couples have a right to sterile sex. Yeah, you know, one there are a number of aspects that we could say are important about that. But this was the first decision that emerged from this purported right to privacy. Mm. Okay, so okay. There, there is obviously no such thing in the Constitution as a right to privacy. However, the court determined that because certain elements of the the Bill of Rights speak in terms of what arguably could be characterized as privacy. No illegal search and seizures. Exactly. Okay. No housing of forced housing of soldiers in your home. Right. Yeah. This kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Um, that, uh, I don't know how far to go into No, this. go, no, go, go, go. description, but it's the um, emanations and penumbras. It's describing the yep. Bill of Rights almost as a moon that's giving off of light and, and the shadow that runs around the exterior of the right. moon's light is where we're finding these right. rights mm. of privacy, which included in the 1965 Griswold case, a right to marital immunity against the laws um, against uh, contraception. Yeah. I, I guess I, I want to know exa- what do you, what was the Griswold case? Why was it there? And what was it like in plain terms, what was it deciding? It was an action brought um, in order to overrule the Connecticut law that um, had its impact on the access of contraception by marital couples. So the Connecticut law had made contraception illegal for everyone because it was saying, hey, marriage is for procreation and contraceptives are legal. And then the Supreme Court case came in and said, Connecticut, you can't do that. That's right. Okay. So, Jeff, why, why would a Christian... Um, state or, or a, a state committed to God's world that he made uh, prohibit contraception? Oh dear. That's, that's a question that requires a much longer answer. You might be, bring me back another time to go really? through that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Okay. So let's just, let's just pause right uh, there because I, 
I want to tell everybody, I don't know what you're doing, but you better call your friends, call your homies, call your cousins, <laughs> tell them to pull out a notepad. <laughs> we're going to school. We're we going to school, and if you're about to get the education. I don't know if, we, you know, I, we talked last year about the um, pitter-patter of of uh, uh, Auschwitz, right? Yeah, yeah. doesn't happen. Tyranny. Over, tyranny, right? That was one of the most important shows that we've done across politics. That's right. This one might be the most informative shows that we've ever done across politics, just on the whole issue of transgenderism, sex, the whole nine Go share the show. Tell everybody they need to tune in absolutely right now. More cross politic. Do I call you doctor? What I, I want to call you something, Bishop. J. Uh, Law Schaefer. <laughs> With Jeff Schaefer. <laughs> Next on Cross Politic. Oh my goodness. Home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. 1920s. Right, what happened? 1930s, 40s, something happened in there. But we're, we're 1960, 1972. Yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah. Already. Already. We haven't even gotten to the meat. Well, and I actually, I want to go back and talk about, you know, how does slavery and the rulings that happened under slavery uh, play into all this? That's another show. Welcome back to Cross Politic on the one and only Fight Laugh Feast Network. The show is brought to you by Classical Conversations. Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents. By cultivating the love of learning through a Christian <laughs> worldview. You better talk about this right now. <laughs> and fellowship yeah. with other families. Do we need a worldview? Like oh, that's my goodness. Centered on Christ? Do you need to homeschool your kids? <laughs> yes, you do. Mm. We provide a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries. And we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Classical, Christian, get connected, get community, www.classicalconversations.com. And the CEO of Classical Conversations started a podcast he did. recently. Oh, yes. He's got some pretty good stuff yeah. happening over there. We're going to get him on the show hopefully in the next talk couple about months it. and We're talk about all forward. this stuff. Yeah. All right. So we left off in the 1960s. Yeah. Actually, we got, we got a 72. 72. And you were mentioning this is when they're first starting to find this these penumbra in the, in the Constitution, these shadows. The spirit. This, this, it's not there. But they're arguing is in some way kind of implied or implicit in the text of the Constitution. And that, I mean, does that bring us to Roe versus Wade? It does. You know, when the court issued its opinion in the Eisenstadt case, it was already had Roe in its hands. Wow. So it was a setup. There was language that was included wow. in Eisenstadt intentionally to be used for purposes of the decision to come in the Roe they, case. They gave themselves precedent. They did. You shut up. <laughs> This isn't a controversial statement. It's well understood. Wow. So nineteen seventy two. So you're saying the nineteen seventy two sanctity Wait. of marriage case, they they already had the Roe case in hand. In hand. Seventy two was Eisenstadt. That Eisenstadt, that was Eisenstadt not that's the right. marriage case. Yeah. This was sex among unmarried persons. Right. By that by, by that point they were saying it's now up to individuals whether they're gonna have children or not. Mm-hmm. So they've so they've divorced that from family. And then Roe comes, they, they set themselves up, right to privacy, so-called, that's a penumbra in the Bill of Rights, 
um, connect the dots. They go from Ro- but Roe versus Wade goes even further. It does. If your uh, contraceptive efforts fail, then you do away with the problem. Mm-hmm. So Roe ratified the idea that there's a constitutional right to abortion, to getting rid of your child. Right. And that was obviously a fairly substantial leap from the contraceptive cases, but there was a kind of, we might say, philosophical approach that was consistent between them. What is that philosophical approach that's consistent? Sex is constitutionally sterile. And any identification of something other than that is a problem that needs to be done away with. Understand, as far as the law is concerned, the court is saying, and and by the way, I suppose I should pause here before I conclude that and say, by this time, the Supreme Court has well established itself as essentially the um, superintending committee as to how to enable in, in the law the sexual revolution. Wow. And so this is being carried out step by step. But the road determination was a brutal conclusion of the idea that sex is and must be sterile. Okay. Um, go back to the Eisenstadt. I might be pronouncing it wrong. Um, I'm sure. But are you saying in the Eisenstadt case, it basically made um, uh Sex outside of marriage, legal. Is that basically what it's doing? It's, that's the implication. I mean, when you're giving a constitutional right to unmarried persons to be using contraception in their sexual acts, right. it, it wasn't a ruling on the question that you presented, but it certainly was implied. Because other states, um, didn't states largely outlaw premarital sex or sex outside of marriage? Fornication laws were in existence across the nation at the time. Okay. Yeah. And then the Eisenstadt case, was it was had to do with contraception, but obviously the foundation of that case was more, hey, you can just have sex with, you know, outside of marriage. Well, again, that's an implication right, rather right. than a direct ruling right. from the court. So this, this idea that sex is le- legally at least uh, to be understood as a sterile thing is already um, at war with creation. It is. God's word. It, yeah. It's at war with what God, how God made the world. And it's at the heart of homosexuality. Yeah, right, right. And it, and and so I guess, and that's what I'm asking is 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 that a, an if you if you say that, have you essentially already defined sexuality in kind of a gay way? You have. Yes. I mean, it's 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 already it's already a gay paradigm. That's right. So when we get to the Lawrence decision, when the Supreme Court said that there was a constitutional right to homosexual sodomy, which is when when 2003. Okay. The, and it, there had been the work done already right. to get us to that right. point. So, right. um, if there, if sex between two persons does not need to create a, another human being, does it not need to be fruitful? Then the difference between heterosexual sex and sodomite sex is apparently superfluous. So, Jeff, help me out with something. If it's true that they are setting up Roe v. Wade and they're basically trying to obliterate categories of sex here and what it is, and that's what the secularists are doing. Are we were we seeing the plays as it was happening in that time? What what are we doing while all this is happening to the court? Where are Christians at? What's the where's the world at? What are we reacting to? I'm just wondering because they're they're getting some traction here, man. What what was our play in the time in the moment? Uh, there wasn't one. The Catholics were in play at the moment. The evangelicals were not. 
in um, the early 70s, the Southern Baptist Convention had promoted abortion as a constitutional right. It repented of that in, I think, 2003. But the point is, there was an action from our community at the time of a, of a resistance variety. Even even like, let's even go back to the 1920s with the Buck case. Was there any awareness in the church that this was our this was starting to happen? This eugenic sterilization stuff was that being talked about? This was another disgraceful era of Christian capitulation to the categories of the day. Wow. So so ver- you're saying virtually no pushback from uh, Christians when you have these decisions being made in the 20s. Go ahead. Is that that what you're saying? Virtually no pushback. There's a book called Preaching Eugenics Mm. that describes how um, the eugenics crusade actually used pastors in its efforts to promote the ideology. Mm -hmm. Wow. Margaret Sanger uh, um, in the black community... Wow, and that kind of thing. So you got the Catholic, you got the Catholic Church who catches on this first, right? So they are they right? So they catching on to the right at the end of the seventies. In is that when they jump in on this situation? Well, their their doctrinal positions have been rigid, strict, and in conformity with the created order right. through time. Right. Um, the Protestants started to peel away on these questions in the early twentieth century. So. And are, are they peeling away? Um, what, is, why, why, are they, why are the Protestants giving up the fight in the early 20th century? I don't know the answer to that Interesting. question. Interesting. Okay. That's, okay. That's, that's, but but here, here's it. Like, okay. I'm, so I'm, I'm just chewing on it. I'm thinking yeah. about it here. And I'm thinking of a Machen. J. J. Gress and Machen in the, early, in the you know, 19, Liberalism and, uh, uh-huh. it, 1920s and mm-hmm. before that, um, the teens, but the... Um, He's already calling, um, you know, that's the mainline Presbyterian church at the time. And right. he, he's saying that they've, they've basically given away the store right. in principle because, um, and it has to do with the objectivity of, of history and doctrine. And they've, they've already said basically that Christianity, law, yeah. Christianity is about sort of the spirit of, you know, how, you know, your feelings and your emotions and your experience of the Christ and has and it's and, and and he's saying if they deny the virgin birth, if they deny the resurrection, if they deny the um, the inspiration of scripture, they've given away the store. Mm. And they're all saying, "What are you talking about?" This is and, and you know he gets defrocked basically for being divisive. So maybe maybe Machins are one guy. I don't know, <laughs> but he get he gets um, defrocked and has to spin off and helps start start the OPC. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Orthodox Presbyterian yeah. Church. Um, but uh, but it seems like. Um, that's really, really fascinating to see the connection, though, between maybe this is jumping too far, but but if your Christian faith is not grounded in history, not grounded in the created reality, this world, Jesus right. had a body right. that he rose from the dead in, yep. that, and, and, and that God created this world and has fixed realities, then what stops somebody from saying, inside my body, despite what my body looks like, I feel like a woman? even though I have a biological male body. It's, it's not, I mean, is, is that? Let, let, let me suggest something that perhaps would be helpful in filling some of this out. Yes. There is a change, um, and this goes back quite a few centuries, but it kind of picks up speed through time. 
and that is of conceiving of the human person, the body, not or in creation more broadly, not in terms of givenness and created meaning and a telos yes. present, but rather in terms of um, pure materiality. Mm-hmm. That is to say, the person is understood as a composite of measurable functionality. Mm. So we can't say what a person is on this new account. We can only say what it does and what we can do with it. Mm. And so we mm. see rather than That's wisdom, Darwin. wisdom resident point, yeah. in the created features of persons, mm-hmm. it's instead manipulable mm-hmm. possibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't really know the ultimate truth of the person because that's only achieved by continual experimentation. Right. So we never, and we don't, is that the end of the line? We don't know. We have to yeah. continue to check and the so, like. So Gabe said that's Darwin. Is that, Dar- I mean, is that just Darwin or is it go before that and oh, deeper than? Long, long yeah. before Darwin. Okay. So Darwin know, came out, I'm sorry, go so ahead. I'll let you. I'm going to say the new science, the, the scientific revol- revolution itself, I think, was reconceiving of old categories and bringing them into purely functional and materialistic forms. By the, and this gets to your question a little bit. Once we conceive of the person in functional terms, right. that then permits this kind of interchangeability. Right. Okay. So there's not a fixed givenness, again, purpose and telos to this particular created being, this man, this woman. And um, and what they're for. It's just biological it, chemicals that it, you can manipulate. But there's now a, yeah, now there's a, a, just, it's just pure functionality and who knows what the limits are. And so right. interchangeability, which means fundamentally that a person can be anything perhaps we can play with, we can experiment with. Family can be anything we want it to be with. We can experiment, we can interchange parts and pieces. Yes. Okay. This brings us, by the way, up to the Dave Rubin synthetic family that someone alluded to earlier. Yes. Yes. So once we just see people as a compilation of parts with no particular meaning associated with them, they just serve functions. You can pull pieces. You plug and play. The you fragment the individual, Mm -hmm. taking whatever you need and purchase them. Rent wombs. These kinds of things. Eggs. Subject. Now procreation itself. I suppose we should call it reproduction is not the kind of natural emergence of the conjugal embrace. Rather, it's Ugh. something that's done right. by technicians in a lab. That is to say, creation of persons independent of relationship. But if you're, but if you, and if, and if persons are created in labs, everything else can be, cre- you know, in principle, like you're, you're creating family in a lab, you're creating, you're creating love in a lab, you're cre- you know, whatever it's all, it, it's all a result of lab. So oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. We I'll had, let you answer we, that. We still have a Burgerfell. Where, where does a Burgerfell well, fit into all this? You, you want to get? Uh, no, I thought he was going to say something else. I don't want to miss anything that's yeah, coming yeah. from Jeff right now. Perhaps I did. I forget what it was. Okay. okay. So I'm going to take your question because I'm going to answer yeah. it in a different context or ask it in a different context. We have Roe v. Wade. Would your next jump be to Obergefell from that? Like that's the next <clears> big <throat> marker, or there is there something in between? Because you lose sex there. Well, the Lawrence decision seems pretty. Lawrence important. was in 2003. Yeah, yep. so that's probably the next place. Yeah, and Justice Scalia in dissent said, we know what happens next. Which is oh. homosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. That's what he said in yes. 2003. He did. So it only took him, what, 12 years? 
Right. Well, in 2013, the Supreme Court in the United States versus Windsor had struck down oh, and validated the, the Federal the, Defense of Marriage the Act. The DOMA Act. Right. That Bill, Bill Clinton signed. Bill Clinton had signed. While he was cheating uh, uh, with Monica Linsky and while Mitch McConnell, or not Mitch McConnell, I'm a, uh, the other guy that was championing it, the um, um, Newt Gingrich was cheating on okay. his wife at the same time while they were both. Yeah. So then what happens in a... Because I've heard you say this, and this has blown my mind. I'm, I've heard you say that keep people keep asking you, "Where's the bottom?" Where when we hit? Because we're falling right now. And I've heard you say, "Obergefell is the bottom." Yeah, there isn't a, a bottom from there. Right. I'll, let me just say by way of introduction to that yeah. point, what the Supreme Court did in the Windsor case was describe uh, legal policy that describes marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman, as. Um, animus, a bare desire to harm. So what the world and all of us understand to be the nature of marriage, the joining the union of husband and wife, the Supreme Court redescribed as an act of belligerent hatred by lawmakers. So that, of course, set up the little surprise two years later that Obergefell would come along. Wow. The, the, well, how's marriage, how are they arguing marriage was an act of belligerent hatred? Well, it, it would be worth your time to look at the Windsor decision, but it was a category. This animus category was one that they employed, pulled from a prior decision, and applied it in the circumstance. It was unthinkable to the justices at the time, apparently, that um, one could conceive of marriage in any other way than as some sort of an emotional connection between two persons. Remember, sex has already been denatured uh, by this point. Right, uh -huh. right. So why would we exclude anyone else? Hope that aim to get into the relationship. A belligerent act of animus. Are they arguing that because some of those words are mine rather than theirs? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it, are are they are, are were they arguing that because marriage at that point was exclusive and didn't include homosexuals? Didn't include. Is that what they were saying? Was the animus there? That's right. Because the, by nature of the definition, is that which is not within the definition is excluded. Anyway, so the Windsor case gave us little doubt as to what was going to soon happen. And two years later, of course, it did. Um, by the way, I'll, I'll just say this yeah, quickly. Yeah. June 2015 was a, quite a humdinger of a month. Mm -hmm. You might remember uh, mm -hmm. this was the month in which the Vanity Fair cover had the recently surgically altered Bruce yep. Jenner yep. Um, posing as a woman half his age. And then, of course, also in that month was the Obergefell versus Hodges first decision from the Supreme Court in which it purported to redefine civil marriage in terms of a gay logic and paradigm. Yeah. So what uh, it, so it claimed that uh, what else did Obergefell do or what did that affect? I mean, you know, how, we were, were tumbling down the stairs of reality, whatever. What else what else does that Obergefell decision destroy? It's revolutionary character, it's profundity rests in the fact that it destroyed an institution that holds in place human nature. Marriage. Marriage. Male and female matter for public purposes more than anywhere else, perhaps, in the family, in the marital relationship. If they cannot matter there, they can't matter anywhere. Wow. Oh my goodness, we have no idea what just happened. We have no idea. Because so many Christians, I think are easily swayed to think so, so when people say obergefell destroyed marriage a lot of christians i think think but i'm still married 
I'm a man, I'm, I'm married to a woman, and we're still married. How did Obergefell destroy marriage? On the backside of Obergefell, those people that you're referring to are married under the eyes of the constitutional standard. I say that loosely. Um, because they are two adults. They no longer have a relationship. <laughs> no categories for what they are. There isn't one anymore for what they're doing. They can privately nurse the idea that there is a relationship of husband and wife, but as far as constitutional law, and society, the Supreme Court's right. rendition of it, that doesn't matter. So, Maleness and femaleness no longer have a role in the institution. So if they say maleness and femaleness has no role in terms of marriage... Then d- does the next is the next step simply male and female and this has no meaning whatsoever in legal terms? That's all part of the working out of the principle. It was already embedded in Obergefell, yeah. but but it's working itself out in salutary, I think, clarifying ways. Okay, so and this is how dangerous that penum- penumbra, uh, penumbra, penumbra. But you can too. say it however you want. Penumbra uh, works its way out. It just keeps finding the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law. And then now we're down here, and look at what the spirit of law has gotten us. Yeah, the penumbra analysis was the subject of such um, critique through time that it's kind of fallen away. The new um, item in the Constitution serving that purpose is the word liberty in the 14th Amendment. And, of course, in the exquisite deliverances of Justice Kennedy, we find the likes of at the heart of liberty is the right of each individual to define for himself the meaning of the universe and human life and right. so on. And essentially that was reproduced in sentence number one in the Obergefell decision that said right. the constitutional right to liberty is the right to define That's yourself. Right. So, so, okay, I got to stop here for a second, take a pause before we get there, where we keep going, because this is heavy. Um, where 2003, we are engaged in the pro-life movement now. Christ, evangelicals are in it. We're yes. fighting. That was the Lawrence decision, right. 2003. So yeah. we, we get that. But do we have any vision of what's actually in play? So we're fighting here, but they're still getting these wins. And the the movement is going, even though we're fighting the pro-life fight, we're still not engaged in the depth of the argument, right? Are we we still missing it here? I suspect that that could be true, right? I mean, it's difficult for me to assess. I mean, legally, I mean, as far as law is concerned, we're not not saying, wait a second, here's the fallout. We're beginning to put up a fight about abortion by this point. Legally. But is it pretty much limited to that? Uh, I I suppose that there were people that understood the stakes and were fighting in those terms. They weren't having success at the time. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Go ahead. Remember what's going on in Roe is not just the ratification of legal killing of innocents. Right. It's saying something about the nature of the maternal relationship itself. That's right. It's repudiating the idea that there is a pre-existing relationship with duties and responsibilities associated with it. It's saying there is no such thing as motherhood. Right. It doesn't exist as part of the created order. Motherhood is something you select. Right. It's a contractual sort of arrangement. It's, it's that assumption of liberty being your freedom to choose to be whatever you want to be. And if you don't want to be a mother... Then you can kill your baby. So the question then becomes, if there is no such thing as motherhood in reality, what does the state have to honor? And fatherhood is just 
It's got killed even at the hearing of that. Long time right? ago. It was gone. It, was just, uh, that, that's it, got, it got killed in 1920 with the Buck thing. Sterilization. <laughs> okay. Let me, right? let me, 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 let more cross politics with Jeff. Sh- Are you got you got notes? I got notes over. I, know. I haven't even oh gotten to got, this I point. I got a page yet. over here. Oh my goodness! I hope you've shared the show. Everybody needs to hear this. More cross politics yeah. with Jeff Schaefer coming up next. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations. Our most precious commodity is time. No one has ever lied on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time making money. They all wish they had spent more time creating a legacy. Our modern education system steals that legacy, steals that time from our children. That's why I'm passionate about homeschooling. That's why at Classical Conversations, we want to give you more time to create that legacy, follow your passions, and glorify God. Visit classicalconversations.com for more information. Oh, man. Welcome back to Cross Politic, where we're going to school with... Legal Ninja Jedi Master Jeff Schaefer. He's the director of the new Hale Institute at New St. Andrews College, which we're going to talk about more on this segment. But make sure you share the show, like and share the show. And um, this segment is brought to you by Bobo Construction. Bobo Construction is a fourth-generation family-owned general contractor that was founded back in 1952. Their motto is, whatever is fair and right, that's what we do. It's pretty good. Pretty good motto, I think. Uh, the Bobo Construction headquarters. There's no penumbra there. No, you know. no penumbra. No penumbra there. Not even a penumbra. <laughs> headquarters in Sacramento County, California, and they are defying vaccine mandates there, happily, apparently. Bobo Construction has recently expanded into Idaho and eastern Washington with offices in Meridian and Coeur d'Alene and is in search of potential partners to wage war on tyranny with and build cool stuff. For instance, Bobo Construction has recently partnered with building God's way architects as their exclusive builder in Idaho. Christians need to build out a Christian economy like this. So here's your chance. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Coeur d'Alene's building a church with these guys um, there. It's already super cool. That's awesome. Yeah, you can also contact Austin Bobo at a Bobo B-O-B-O, at BoboConstructionInc.com or call him, 208-789-0995. Tell him Cross Politics sent you. Or you can learn more at Bobo. Uh, constructioninc.com. What are you writing down, Jeff? I'm sorry, I'm being nosy. I just know if you write down something, I want to peek over the... <laughs> he's like, he's call, like, call Bobo. He's like, <laughs> re- re- remind me to sue Cross Politics later. <laughs> Bobo Construction Inc. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of joking, but what were you writing down? <laughs> you had invited me to, to speak on kind of additional developments associated with what we've been talking about. So yeah. I thought, well, there's one. Oh. Okay, so so we're we're 2015. No, no, I want to know, but what, what is the what is the development? So much for the privacy of my notes. <laughs> no, no, I'm right. in it, man. Well, he's he's bothered. He's like, I'm a lawyer now. I'm gonna sue you now. He's like, you looking at my notepad? I, I want to know. The w- one of the developments that is associated with the legal description of same sex and opposite sex couples as being equal. Mm-hmm. No differences between them, as mm-hmm. far as the law is concerned. Mm-hmm. Th- then that means whatever would be different about them cannot have legal consequence. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? One is a procreative union and one is not. 
So insofar as both are married and thus have access to children, what's the new understanding of parenthood? It has to be some um, understanding that encompasses both of them, not mm -hmm. just one of them. Right. Because if you were to assign um, significance to the procreative power of a male and female coming together, you would be thereby diminishing the same-sex couple, which is incapable of doing that, which thus requires the removal of significance in the law of that natural filial relation between parent and child. Right. Parent should now be understood as a custodial relationship right. by which adults of some kind of management competence are in possession of children. Gosh. The, <laughs> so now we have the technological model of right. procreating, of reproduction, right. being ratified in law as a constitutional imperative on the backside of, right. this was happening on the front side of, of, of Obergefell as well in certain state courts. But the Supreme Court itself in 2017 essentially ratified um, the birth certificate claim of a same-sex spouse, yeah. essentially giving parenthood. Right. right. And what we see corresponding to this is courts that purport to be interpreting state laws that speak of uh, paternity of husbands and fathers using, quote, gender-neutral interpretation methods, converting sexed categories like fatherhood, husband, and, and, the, and the like into Parent androgynous terms altogether, right? Yeah, yeah. So the physiological connection, the genetic profundity yeah. associated with father to child is converted into a manufacturing model understanding. Yeah. And the law is updated to accommodate itself to the new parenthood model. Does that bring us up to Dave Rubin? It does. Um, I suppose, and this is why um, he's getting the, the applause of conservatives, people, right? They're accustomed to this frame of reference. Wow. It, it, it strikes me too, you alluded to this earlier, Jeff, and we haven't emphasized this so much uh, yet, but um, if uh, personhood, uh, human life, family, all these things are a matter of selection f to create and make what you will, it, it seems to me that the other thing that people frequently miss is they're doing it in the name of freedom, for the masses, pick what you will, choose your own adventure, human life. But the unstated thing is that the state is behind all this. Mm. The state is the one enforcing yeah, right. this on states and families and communities, which means ultimately what is being stated, though, is that the state is the one that is, it has the right to define what a human being is, what a father, a mother, a family unit is. Correct? Correct. Yeah, they're very well put. I mean, so uh, it's it, it, how does this how does this happen? Where people, you know, freedom, 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 yay, freedom, and the very thing that's actually being taken away is freedom. It's freedom because the state is is gathering it to itself, the prerogative to define and proclaim reality, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we are living in an epoch of flamboyant madness. Mm. Um, there's a kind of thoughtlessness associated with that. But it, it, in another sense, we'd say it's very logical. Once you've committed yourself to particular ideas, you better be ready to live with everything that's associated right. with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your, your point, I think, is an excellent one, which is that when individual rights, as a, the right to define yourself, implies the idea that there is nothing external to you. Right. That there's no reality 
beyond the borders of your cranium. And that means the repudiation of any kind of natural authority outside of you. So if you find yourself in a family, for instance, the state is going to have to knock down the family in order to elevate your interests in self-definition and the like. So this plays out very nicely in these cases in which parents are having the custody of their children taken away from them because they refuse to trans them. Right. You see. Right. So the child's self-definition means, in fact, the repudiation of the family altogether. And this should not surprise us. If male and female have no objective meaning, mother and father, likewise, have no meaning. Right. There is no authority in that relationship any longer. It could only exist if male meant something. If female meant something, if the maternal and paternal relationships meant something. But once we've determined that there is no authority in those relationships because there is no such thing as male and female, the family is gone. Mm -hmm. So then who, this is why it's it's so easy for um, school boards to make decisions about what your kids can and cannot learn because there is no category of your kids anymore. They don't belong to you. See, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so wait, wait, wait. So who do they belong to, Jeff? They belong to the state that superintends the various contractual determinations by discrete individuals that are not male or female. Remember, we don't think of what people are; we think of what they can do and what can be done with them. The question of your place in the created order has been eliminated from analysis. Yeah. So what it ultimately comes down to is the unhindered impulses being effectuated okay. on the individual level with state ratification. Now, Go ahead, Pastor. There's so much I want to... Yeah, so, so it just reminds me of, of a point you make in, the, in... There's a First Things article that you wrote a few years back on transgenderism and, and so on. And, and you, note in right there, yeah. you note in there that transgenderism is parasitic. It is. Off of the reality that bodies mean something. Yeah. And, and so you can see this in the irony of a, a, a you know, of, of a, a girl, biological female who wants to be a, a male. And then, so then says my body doesn't uh, actually, sp- you know, re- reflect reality, but then pr- proceeds to dress up like a boy as if that reality means something. But it seems to me like that's going on across the board here. Then it's like this whole ideology of rejecting creation and, and, and the reality of, of the created order is parasitic on the fact that there is a created order. So does this ultimately, um, will it eat itself? Yeah, the, it's, will it collapse in on itself? And, and it's like, I mean, so what's a Supreme Court justice? What, 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 That's my question. What, how long is it before the law what, starts what, eating itself? What, what, you know, what, yeah, does the law, I mean, how can the law hold itself up? Hold if, it, if it's saying that, it, you know, I mean, ultimately, if, if bodies don't have meanings, then words don't have meanings. That's right. So words end up being, um, well, let me go back to the point you were first registering because I think it's an interesting one. There is this dialectic in play in trans ideology, and that is it relies on the very thing that it's also destroying. So what are its long-term prospects? That's an excellent question. (laughs) But as an intermediate undertaking, it's, it's focusing on, so for instance, stereotypes end up being a very big deal right. in trans life. Like, how do you demonstrate your femaleness if you're a male? Well, it tends to be 
through kind of gauche displays of handbag clutching or a particular kind yes. of gait or the wearing of makeup and jewelry and those yes. sorts of things. So they glom on to these kind of traditional stereotypes, stereotypes to associated exist. with. Yeah. So they need the reality, the cultural recognition of the category female right. in order for their invisible identity to have a means of being displayed to the world. There's um, a case out of the 11th Circuit. It's the Adams versus St. John's County School Board case in which um, the court immediately calls this young lady uh, a man and, excuse me, has the, um, I mean, this man who's taking um, birth control in order to suppress his menstrual cycle. <laughs> this is, by the way, how elevated federal judges right now. Um, but, but it's a woman, to be clear. Course, it's a woman. It's a young woman. Yep. And, but the, the thing that is interesting is she says, I am a boy and I love going into the boys' restroom so that I'm able to show to the world my maleness. So you see, there's a repudiation of the embodied nature of maleness. Right. But they take advantage of the cultural institutions <laughs> right. that rely on that very embodiment right. Right. in order to demonstrate that they're a male independent of their embodiment. <laughs> so there's this kind of confusion that's implicit in the undertaking. And, and that's where I, the point you register is a good one. I don't know how long this lasts. I think ultimately the goal for those who are riding herd over these confused people is to do away with the categories altogether. That is to say, to insert a kind of um, instability into what was unquestionable before. So our social institutions, our practices, our language is now being manipulated so dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, Jeff, part of it for me as I look and see the fight over critical race theory and the civil rights movement that's been coming up, this should absolutely scare anybody who is super pro-black civil rights because they're about to be obliterated as a category if this continues. What is what is black anymore? Like what is a civil right of a of a black person? It doesn't matter anymore. All those things, all those categories are gone, right? Like that. So why why is it nobody is seeing what's about to happen? You know, this is um, an intriguing question. I I do wonder how long it will take for the black community to recognize the incompatibility of their interests with this new understanding of humanity. So how long can they continue to insist on some sort of meaningful connection to the suffering of their forebears when we're learning that there is no meaningful connection to anyone who's gone before you? Children are individual units mm. who can be distributed among wow. adults who wish to have them. I just think there's a fundamental in capacity to uh, edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you catch any of the Katanji Brown Jackson? Of course I saw hearings? her answer to yeah. uh, Senator Blackburn's question. But I mean, it, it's, it reminds me, you know, she, she, so she reads that quote from, um, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg's decision um, initially, which I thought was a really brilliant move actually, where she's, stating in a decision that um, male and femaleness is an enduring difference, characteristics, traits, you know, apparently you know, she didn't get the memo yet whenever she wrote the decision, but then, but had, but had said that um, race and ethnicity and things like that were not enduring traits. And it struck me that, you know, for, for we've talked about this on the show a number of times, but like actually, so that's exactly right. I mean, Ginsburg in that sentence is actually saying true things. She's, she's telling the truth. And, and yet, if somebody 
if a white person tries to pretend to be a black person, I mean, you know, the, the CNN will like, you know, implode. I mean, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the elites will light their hair on fire and run around the streets and, and act, you know, but, but if a man dresses like a, like a woman, we say how brave and how strong you are when it's, but, but male and femaleness is more fundamental to reality than our ethnicity and how much, you know, stuff we got in our skin, you know, how, how dark a shade it is. I mean, over, over time, those things change. <laughs> Uh, but our male and femaleness is fixed. How, how does how does uh, how does our um, our law system how, how does it grapple with that? I mean, how, I mean, does it not see that? There's a kind of thoughtlessness that attends all of these um, judicial determinations. It's startling. It really is. I'm um, aghast about every time I pick up a decision in which a court has applied itself to these kinds of questions. It's the most perfunctory kind of th thoughtless presentation that adopts the fashionable categories of the day, which is very safe to do, of course, but there's no demonstration of thought. Mm. It, oh, go ahead. It, no, go it's, ahead. it's difficult. You know, one of the, th and how does this idea travel? It's so counterintuitive. It's so kind of opposed to what we all resonate with, know to be the facts of the matter. Um, well, this is how it does. It's the introduction of coercion into about all aspects right. of society. One of the interesting things about President Biden's presentation that you played at the beginning of the show is he says, we're going to make this stuff everywhere, right. everywhere. And that's really the necessity to overcome what your lion eyes teach you. We have to make mm. your educational possibilities, your continued employment, um, your place in the world, mm -hmm. your, your kind of good standing and polite company, all to be contingent on your participation in the charade that's being imposed upon us. So wow. we have the incorporation of all this stuff into national curriculum standards. We have the bureaucratic apparatuses that we find all around us imposing this. You mentioned the Disney objective to queer the world yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is the necessity. It has to be this incessant shoving it in your face if you're to, you know, Yes. You turn yourself into a, yeah. an ally or, or even look at the world in a way that allows this to be. Cre you know, to create kind of this plausibility structures everywhere. Entirely artificial. It's like entirely that, artificial. Like movie, it's a forced that, gospel. That movie with that guy who doesn't know he's in a TV show. What's it, what's uh, it? Truman Show. Yeah, like kind of a Truman Show kind of thing. So they're recreating the world. So I, I have to ask then, this is maybe turn the corner. If we don't need to, that's fine. But um, when I read this article that you wrote, um, first for first things, it, it made me say this is such a clear, articulate presentation that's just logical on its face. The problem that I'm seeing is, do you have a judge in some way that has the same faculties or still some way as logical to be able to hear this case? Because where do you take your petitions if the world and the water and the air that we're breathing and the water that we're drinking has all been transformed, pun intended, where do, who's going to hear, what legal court is going to hear your case that you're going to have a, a fair shake at? Well, there are uh, solid judges out there. Um, for instance, the case I alluded to a moment ago, the Adams case, had a dissenting opinion in it. Dissenting opinion. Yeah. But he lost. Well, so I'm sure that there are courts that, that are present in the world that would do the right thing. Okay. Um, we'll see. I mean, to date, the other side has been w winning dramatically. Mm. Uh, we'll see how long it takes for this to travel up to the Supreme Court and what it might decide to do about it. Mm. Well, I mean, the Bostock decision recently written by uh, Justice Gorsuch was an atrocious handling of the matter. Right. Um, so I, I don't want to suggest that I have faith that the right outcome would obtain. 
we've got evidence on this very issue that it's mishandled. Right. You know, and not not just mishandled. I mean, Justice Alito's dissent in the Bostock case, sentence number one, said, let me tell you what this is. It's legislation. The court was making up the law, not interpreting it. Um, And in addition to that, it threw in gratuitously things like describing a man as she, Ms. Stevens and the like, altogether unnecessary, but it was more kind of piling it on. All right, so we're so thick. Like, our illogical uh, culture is going insane, and it's going it's so far, it's seeped deeply into our courts. Um, where do, how do we fix this? Where do we start uh, to change this? this? This is a question I never know how to answer. I mean, we all, I suppose, have something to do. Um, saw the law in front of you. I, of course, particularly interested in the law, and uh, yeah. the Hale Institute is an expression of that interest. I think it's vital that we begin to understand things that we haven't given a great deal of attention to before. Think carefully about this. You know, I just finished a term um, two weeks ago um, of a law and anthropology class. Yeah, that I, I heard about college. that. Yeah. And so there are. How does law interact with our body? How does the law interact with the body? What should it do as it looks at the body? It looks at the question of sex, looks at the designs of the family. Mm. It's essential that the law gets it right. The law is regulating persons. And how you understand what a person is is going to dictate everything. Does creation matter? Do we have a particular meaning and tell us? The law better recognize that or it's going to get everything wrong. And so so you said that evangelicals haven't had a good handle on this. Right. Because when it starts back at, at, at abortion, we're not even engaged in the yeah. conversation. Catholics are the yeah. ones who are engaged yeah. in it. So I'm more interested in your perspective from the legal side. If you had to gather all the evangelicals into a room and say, which is what kind of the Hell Institute is doing, I guess, in one sense or another, build the next generation. What's the first class you teach them? Well, the first class I taught was that law and anthropology. Okay. Class. So that's the, yeah. that's the class. Mm-hmm. And then where do you where do you point them after that legally? Uh, well, there's an abundance of of material out there that can be educational. Um, I mean, as I, far as how to engage in the system, because right now the fight is over the bathrooms, but it's not about the bathrooms. It's not about the bathrooms. So you're, do you have ideas, Jeff? Maybe this is what you're getting at, Knox, in terms of um, maybe you have a Christian. I know this is. I think this is part of the vision for the Halens to correct me if I'm wrong, but like bringing maybe some uh, state legislators in and, and so and actually beginning to um, encourage them and educate them as well. Um, if you had a, a group of Idaho legislators that could come in and you'd say, you know what, I've got an idea for a, a piece of legislation that might attack some of this in a useful way. Do you have any ideas along those lines? Yeah, you know, there's there's an important effort that I think can be made in a number of respects. One of them, of course, is just to have a place in the law for the natural family, to continue to ratify the reality that mm. marriage is between a husband and a wife. States have no reason to let go of that, and they ought to hold on to it. Okay. But also all of these other components that continue to recognize that there is a real relationship between mother and child, father and child. Yes. And, and that the law is not going to buy into this manufacturing model of reproduction that ends up assigning children to whoever purchased them and arranged them. You know, I, I got a text from a friend this morning that um, sent a, an article from the New, New York Post where a lesbian couple just sued the fertility clinic that gave them a product different than what they had ordered. They wanted a daughter and had been told they were going to get one, and the woman gave birth to a son. 
So now this is what wow. we were talking about earlier. I'm going to come back to this. The new eugenics. The new eugenics. Right. You see, you manipulate these things. One, you get a batch and then you test to see which is the best one. What right. should we grab? What are the characteristics that we want to have? Well, they wanted a girl instead of a boy and the rest get flushed, you know. Right. Right. So right. everybody. So right. we just got done. I'm just amazed. We just got done fighting this war a generation or so ago. And it's back. It's back with the new vigor. Listen, um, I think an excellent observation registered by the French philosopher Chantal Del Sol. She said in an excellent book, we've not learned the lessons of the 20th century. We mm. have kind of a, um, we're, we haven't maintained an abhorrence with the terroristic excesses of the totalitarian regime, but we have not only imbibed, but built upon the idea that essentially man is nothing at all except what we can do with him. Which is a Which totalitarian. the foundation of the totalitarian systems. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought the same thing with communism. I mean, it's, it's, it's back with a vengeance. You, you, you know, I mean, you've got some people actually out and proud now as communists, but certainly socialists, soft socialists. But even if they're not willing to take the moniker, they're all in. And we, we, didn't, we haven't learned that lesson. I mean, you know, I, I remember Reagan and the wall coming down in my in my childhood and you think oh good the cold war's o cold war's over and tur turns out i don't i don't think it's over yeah you know del sol wonders whether the worst chapter is yet ahead of us yeah well and if and if the murder of babies is the great i mean i mean that's a holocaust it's far worse than anything worse. hitler did so so then jeff what is what does the future look like then if transgenderism is gets its way well you know there are so many features that can make its way into those sorts of historical developments and eventuation i, I i'm loath to say too much but i think what what i can do is look at the principle and then say if that's true and it works itself out through the law and in social ordering it's going to have particular consequences there may be things that happen along the way that interfere you sure know, so you don't get the full velocity version of the idea and and that's where we are now there are other breaks built into the system that keep it from getting to where it's going. and by the way one of those things that puts breaks on it is the uh, presence in a community of a dissenting solid group that says this isn't going to happen so I don't want to discount the possibility yeah. of a community waking up and doing right. precisely that. I mean, the num one of the great gifts of, of COVID and, and the lockdowns has been the mass exodus of so many kids out of public schools. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think homeschooling's up. homeschooling's up, Christian schooling's up. I mean, as they continue to try to brainwash kids with, you know, tranny stuff in the elementary schools and groom them. Um, I mean, a lot of parents are pulling their kids. Maybe that has a, so, a big impact. So, Jeff, when you saw the mandates come in, forced vaccinations, you had to have completely different take on this than most people. Um, I don't know how different it is. I certainly had a take. I mean, you have more. You, you're seeing, like, you're laughing in one sense. You're like, guys, you still think you? They think you're human. Like, you're you belong to them. You are whatever they make you. How are you going to fight against? No, you're not going to jab me in my arm. That's not your arm. You know, you have is, to is have. That, is that is that your take? I'm curious what your take well, is. Well, my yeah. particular take is that this kind of um, coerced um, subjugation of persons. We have a hypodermic, and we're sticking it in you. And if you don't allow us to do that, we're going to cut off all of the what you ordinarily understood to be normal life. It's no longer going to be available to you. Is an entire repudiation of the common law, which 
gave you a right of medical refusal right. altogether. Right. You said no, and that was the end of it. You know, on the backs, I was talking with some, some people yesterday about this. Even the, um, um, oh, dear. You can cut out extended pauses. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, this just makes it more impactful. No, no. <laughs> Go ahead. Cultivate the pauses. Dramatic. Cultivate. This yeah. is going to be really dramatic. Oh, yeah, that's, that's okay. We like drama over here. Have you not watched the show? <laughs> we do drama really well. I know that we've talked with David Fowler about the, the, the natural law and the Ninth Amendment as well. And, you know, if, if what you're saying, it, we lost natural law turn of the century. Right, early That's right. we we lost natural law back then. So, you know, part of there's two things. I want to get that back because we have to have something to lean on. Mm. And it seems like the finding of I've heard Ben Merkel say this. Right now, the most important thing you can do is find a church and a community and give yourself to it for the next forty years. Yeah, that's right. And. If that is what you're looking at as saying, that's the only kind of stop or breaks to this whole thing. That's everybody needs to be jumping on that bandwagon right now. Yeah, it, it's certainly one, and it's an important one. I still think we need to be inserting ourselves into positions of influence to the extent that's available. You yeah, know, seeing um, righteous and wise individuals make their way into elevated positions where these kinds of decisions are being made. So I'm not discounting that. It's just we're dramatically outnumbered. And so kind of an easy expectation that that's going to be available to us with a great effect. That might be naive. Um, it's a difficult, very difficult time that we're in. I suspect that part of our place is going to be learning lessons. We're going to realize we can't let go of what we have so glibly let go of in the past and think that everything's going to be okay. It might just be a time for us to learn a great deal. Mm. So then I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Hell Institute and fighting back. You know, um, what I know that you're building up a whole new set of warriors with this. Could you tell us kind of the foundation of the Institute and, and the goal and the goal of it at the end of the day? Yeah, the Institute really is, um, as I said earlier, uh, kind of coming to grips with the fact that there's a dramatic crisis in the law right now. Of course, that's been manifest in our conversation today. Yes. Yeah. And what we're wanting to do, though, is equip individuals, students now, um, and it, whether they decide to go into the law as a profession or a policy work or what have you, I don't care. Everyone's a citizen and you have a voice and you can do things that's very, that are things that are important of a remedial nature. But you tend to do those things when you understand what's going on. You understand the lingo, the categories, and the like. And so what we hope is both through instruction in the curriculum in the college, but also in convening smart people, scholars, getting them together and permitting their message to be broadcast to the wider community, is getting a kind of understanding present within our ranks, from which then you can act smartly, you might say. Yeah, both... Locally, as citizens, but then also at, at various levels of government That's and, right. and legislation and so forth. And you uh, alluded earlier to getting those persons that are already in those positions right, right. with us so that yeah. we can talk through issues and explain to them, here's some vital yeah. things that you can yeah. do. You know, uh, the other thing that occurs to me, though, is I, I think, you know, the the end of this road, the, the whole eugenics picture that you've painted for us, um, it it really is suicidal. It really is empty. It really is impotent, mm -hmm. and it really is sad. It's all of those things. It's all of those things, mm -hmm. and it's and again, it's entirely parasitic. It's it's it, it's propping itself up with um, 
it decorating itself with the good things that God made in this world and the reality that God made. Right. Um, and so, but, but my, my thought here, my point though is, is, you know, to your question, what can we do? Yeah. Is like, I don't think Christians should underestimate the potency of real families mm-hmm. of, of a man who loves his wife, like Christ loved the church, a, a woman who submits herself and follows the lead of her husband and, and glorifies and adorns his, his home who then together bear children and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's potent. I was, I was, uh, I was, yeah. I was reading. I actually gave a talk this last week at Logos for an assembly on the sexual revolution. And, um, I was, I was just doing some online reading. I came across at least one guy and I think it's not, there was, he was footnoting some other people, but, um, who refers to the very first sexual revolution as actually the first three centuries AD, which is actually the, it's the revolution going the other way. The Roman sexual ethic was, you know, about as debauched as ours. I mean, I think we're competing with <laughs> yeah, Romans. Yeah, maybe, we're close. We, maybe we've uh, passed them up in we some respects. Yeah, but nevertheless, <laughs> it was a mess. I mean, they got pedophilia all over the place. They had homosexuality and sodomy all over the place uh, in that Roman world. And 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 Paul comes in planting churches and says, "Husbands, love your wives." Wives, embody the glory of the church and in your dealings with your husband. Bear, raise your children in the wow, nurture and yeah. admonition of the Lord. And what is he doing in that? He is giving them the tools to reform the Roman Empire, which they did, mm-hmm. which 300 years later had done. And, and I don't think we understand, like, the, the, a thousand years or more of a, a fairly Christian biblical sexual ethic um, is, is incredible. Powerful. I mean, the ideas that um, we take for granted, they were hard fought Yeah. Um, in daily sacrifice, in daily love, in daily joy, in daily confession of sin and forgiveness. And I don't think we should underestimate the potency of that. At no. All. Yeah. And Pastor, and just, I just say this with that, that's not Gnostic. That's, no. and part of our problem in this is, especially talking about the transgender stuff and the sexual stuff is that we are fighting Gnosticism with Gnosticism in the way that we're engaging a yeah, lot of this frequently. stuff. And so that what you're talking about is actually our theology that's in the world, in the earth, hands right. operating, working, right. little sandwiches being made for yeah. little kids who love Jesus and enjoy. Yeah. The, receiving yeah. God's world that he made it. Yeah. As he made it, receiving it and giving thanks. I mean, I don't, I mean. There's, yes. it's, there's, giving thanks is huge. There, there's a reason why the meal Jesus gave us is just a simple bit of bread and a little bit of wine that represents his death and resurrection. And he says, do this and remember me and give thanks. Yep. And it's like, and you, th- and you think, well, what does that matter? I mean, we, you know, and I don't think, I think we need to be engaged. We need to be growing, but, but recognize that I think when people receive God's world as it is and give thanks for it, there's something potent there and powerful yeah. there because and, and Romans one tells us that the root of this is a refusal to give thanks. That's right. Romans That's 1 right. says they knew God made the world. Yep. They knew it displayed his glory That's right. and they refused to, to give, give him thanks. thanks. That's right. And and then he gives them over to all this insanity. Right. But but you say so what you know how do we get back? Well, yeah. I would start by saying look at the good things God has made. He's made you a man, he's made you a woman, he's given you children, he's given you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Right. He's, you know, he's given you uh, you know a, a bicycle to ride, uh, games to play, uh, work be to, thankful to, for those things. Give yeah. thanks. Yeah. Give thanks for that world. Jeff, I want to give you, since you're our guest, I'm going to give you the last last word if you want it. It's up to you. If there's anything else you want to put on the table, it's on, it's on you. It's been a delight being with you today. 
<laughs> well, hey, brother, I'm just glad you came. Yeah. This is. This I'm glad you came. This I, has been. I'm, yeah. I don't think we can under we uh, we can't say enough how thankful we are to have absolutely him. No, have you in our community. Have you on the show? Yep. Have you doing what you're doing? It's huge. It's important. Yes, it is. Um, and I and it's actually despite the kind of the the gruesomeness of it all. In some ways, it's actually so clarifying. It is. And and yeah, and you right. and you say oh. <laughs> that's what they've been doing to us. Yep. Yeah. That's what the, and it's been happening for a while. That's that's what I was attempting to allude to earlier when I was saying there's something of a salutary element to these developments is they make plain what this means. Exactly. Yeah. It's been buried for a while and that's now it's coming up right. into its own. Right. Well, but, um, if we want to follow you's website that we can see your blog post or anything like that or how you're engaging, what's the website to the Hell Institute? I should I should have you, had that. No, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure if you go to nsa.edu, you can absolutely um, find it. There's probably a. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, my, is it hellinstitute.edu? Hell. H a l e. Don't listen to Gabe on this one. H a l e. That's what I'm saying. No. I'm I'm going to find it. Are you blogging at all, or blogging, or um? Are your earpieces not working anymore? They're gone. They're gone. You you burnt out the earpieces, man. Too much hot fire. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Are you blogging anywhere? Or on occasion, I am. Yeah, I mean, oh. for instance, that that article that you pulled up and we're discussing first, earlier. Is, first things is the place yeah. to catch your blogs. Yeah, there's some there and distributed elsewhere. There's more coming in that department. We're gonna have you but write an article say, for our magazine this yeah. year on this because we're doing theonomy and stuff there. Creation. Yeah, yeah. creation. Yeah. The uh, the Hale Institute website still kind of in development is haleinstitute.org. Okay, oh, there it is. Okay. All right. It's an All org. Right. Yeah, so, right. So, H A L E Institute dot O R G. Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking us to school. Mm, So if you're single, get married. That's potent. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Right. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. When tyrants take over, what's the first thing they do? Disarm. It happened in Russia, China, Germany, and most recently, Afghanistan. Why? Because disarmed people are easier to control. And over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. Tyrants know that education is warfare. Our rulers have a vested interest in making you totally harmless. They've got big plans and they don't want you getting in the way. Think about it. Would you rather fight an army decked out with high-powered rifles or a bunch of dinky water pistols? They know that if you can think critically, you're a threat. At New St. Andrews College, we want to graduate men and women who are dangerous. Dangerous to the world, dangerous to the principalities and powers, dangerous to spiritual wickedness in high places. Education can either arm you or disarm you. It can make you a threat or make you a useful idiot. So, where you get that education counts. Click the link to apply to New St. Andrews College today.